Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to another episode of the 1871 Podcast. And before I introduce tonight's guest, just a heads up for you that on tomorrow's episode, Our guest is former Reading under-21s midfielder Lewis Collins. So that's available from 6.30pm tomorrow. And I'm really looking forward to speaking to tonight's special guest, not just because he's a Reading fan, but also because we haven't seen each other for many, many years. And, which is kind of the main reason he's on as a guest, because he was involved in creating the absolutely fantastic Reading FC exhibition. So welcome to Brendan Carr. Hello, Brendan. How are you after all these years? Hi, Mark. Yeah, I'm going strong. Thank you. Good. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And obviously, I know your brother very well from uh, college days. And, and that's, that's of course, how I know you. And um, I, I think it's fair to say that Union is a bit of a legend as a player. And, and the reason I say that is because we both went to Reading College in the 80s. I was manager of the Reading College football team and we won the Berkshire Under-19s trophy and Una was the left-back in that, that team and he got injured in the semi-final. We played against Eton College. Uh, Una got injured in the semi-final. He had to go to hospital. So it was back in the days before social media. He didn't know what the result was. So I actually went to the hospital to tell him that, that we'd won. We got to the final and then we won the final, represented Berkshire, we got to the last 32, so really happy days. So I've known Union a, a very long time. And and Brendan, I can't remember for sure how we met, obviously through Union, but um, I, I think I was a DJ at a couple of parties that you organised or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, we used to um, organise a few little events, get all the uh, youngsters together and um, I think we were doing it as a little sort of charity thing. There's a nightclub called Sloppy Joe's just opposite yeah. the train station. That's it, yeah. It's a literally night spot. So we used to uh, we used to run a, a little night out down there from time to time. That's going way back. That's long, years long ago. ago. But I do remember you and playing for your football team. And, uh, I mean, you had a, a tremendous uh, squad of players. Uh, you went all the way to the national final. So, you know, I mean, that was a... 
a remarkable achievement for the um, Reading College. Yeah. Really good, really good crop of players, you know. And uh, yeah, Union's injury put him out for the for the for the whole run. But nonetheless, I think he still treasures that um, County Cup winners medal, yeah. as all players do. You know, it's interesting yeah. how uh, you know winning a medal means everything to a, a, any player, doesn't it? You know, yeah, so. it's a bit it's a bit like our version of the successful Reading teams back in the well, the Reading team back in the eighties, as it was and. Yeah, Union did play in the final and we had that that season, we had a couple of Reading youth team players. I remember them, Richard Archer and Linus Dibley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we had a, we had some really, really good players. And anyway, we're, we're here to talk about the exhibition and about you, Brendan. Um, but before we, we go on to the exhibition, let's talk about you as a Reading fan. Um, so how old were you when you first became a, a fan and, and where were you living at, at that time? Mm-hmm. Well, I was brought up on Wantage Road, which was in the shadows of the floodlight of uh, Elm Park. And um, so I was always surrounded by the atmosphere on a Saturday. Um, So we're quite intrigued as youngsters. And um, I think my dad arranged for um, one of his mates from the West Reading Social Club who brought us up to our first games. We were only about seven or eight. So that would have been the 77, 78 season. I remember seeing um, players. My favourite player at that time, I think, was either Richie Bowman or Pat Earls. But we see Mike Kearney and um, uh, I remember Ollie, Ollie Kearns because the fans used to go, Ollie, 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 oi, oi, oi. So I used to, that, that sort of uh, stuck in my memory. We used to stand right behind the goal um, at the tireless end. So um, it's wrapped up in all of my earliest memories, Reading Football Club. And did you see, uh, you saw Steve Death play, didn't you? Yeah, I remember, I mean, Steve Death, I was a great fan of um, Steve Death. Funnily enough, one of the items in the exhibition is the picture of his testimonial game, because I think he got over 600 appearances and tremendous, uh, very small goalkeeper, but tremendously agile, sort of depended on his his reflexes and uh I mean, I remember watching Steve Death from behind the goal and the testimonial um, programme cover uh, proves that because, funnily enough, I'm actually in the background behind Steve Death, me and Yunan, watching Steve Death play. I remember watching him, you know, like it was yesterday, very vivid memories. I used to watch him. He used to always um, do his stretches at the at the edge of the box and I used to think, oh, he's taking a bit of a risk there because I was watching him more than the game in a lot of ways because I was a bit of a goalkeeper myself. And, um, yeah, a little while later during the course of this exhibition, um, Mark White, Chalky White, he, he was telling me about his world-class own goal because I think he picked the ball up somewhere inside his own half and he, he didn't know where to turn with it. So he thought, oh, I'll knock it back to the to the goalkeeper and it may well be that that's the explanation of why that goal own goal went in because he scored from about 35 yards. But Steve Death, I think he might have been caught off his line because he had this habit of doing his stretches all the way through the game uh, when the ball was down the other end. So he might have just been caught on alert. That might have explained the goal. But um, yeah, Steve Death was a was a brilliant brilliant goalkeeper. And and we've got on Friday we've got Neville Roach um, on. Oh yeah. Guest. And he was your next door neighbour, wasn't he? Yeah, well, Neville was the grandson of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Paris. So um, I remember when we were kids, 
little Neville, we would be playing in the backyard and all the rest of it. Um, we used to have these these epic games of cricket between the two houses. There was a gate between the two houses, which was the wicket. And uh, Mr. Paris, who's from Barbados, great cricket player, taught us all how to play the game. And it was four runs if you got it through the back door and six runs if you got it over the garage. And we used to have these awesome games. And I, I remember um, like years later hearing that Neville was progressing really well with his football. And then he got his debut for Reading Football Club. And I think it was a couple of days later, he was out in the backyard and I could see him with his skills, a really skillful, tricky, you know, d- doing amazing tricks and juggling uh, with the ball. And I was just thinking, oh, yeah, you know, that, that's the difference, isn't it? And, um, yeah, I think my dad gave him a tenner because he scored on his uh, on his debut, you know. So. <laughs> Neville Roach, yeah. Um, so he's coming on, he's coming on, is he? On Friday, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, he, might, he, he should remember his little childhood, childhood memories round at Wantage Road, maybe, oh, yeah. And you saw, you used to see quite a lot of the, the players from the um, team in the mid-90s, didn't you? Shaka Hislop and you used to see them kind of walking around where you lived, didn't you? Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's part and parcel of that neighbourhood was that the, the footballers, you'd see them regularly up and down um, the road. Um, and I think sort of the Shaka Hislop era was probably the last of that generation where they'd be training in Prospect Park or round at the barracks and you'd see them walking down after training in the morning. I remember Alan Lewis in the news agent and, you know, you just see them very, very regularly. Um, and there was a car park behind um, the football club and the junior Royals uh, organised tournaments for uh, the local lads. Um, and we used to have these epic football matches, you know, amongst the sort of Irish community and the Caribbean community um, and, and all the young lads that lived around there. Uh, just these tremendous games of football. And, I know that Morris Evans, who was um, manager at the time, he used to keep an eye on us and he, he used to pop his head round and, you know, give us encouragement. And you felt like you were, um, you, you felt like you'd be playing up when, you know, you'd see them around and sort of think, you know, hoping you might get spotted or something like that. So there was a, a real connection between the football club and, and the local neighbourhood and the, the players felt, you know, touch, you know, reachable. Yeah. But um the other thing that the club used to do in those days is just before kickoff of each season, they had a, an open day, which were free to get into. So you could go along with your little autograph book. You'd see the players do their warm up sessions and you could go up to them and get, get your signatures off them. It was it was like amazing. These like big, huge lads. And um, I remember Neil Webb was a tremendous player and uh, I got his autograph at the time. So, yeah, all, all of that is bound up with my early memories, definitely. Yeah, and, and it kind of sort of ties in with the exhibition, doesn't it? Because it's all memorabilia and it's what we do on the on the podcast, you know, reminisce about the old days, inverted commas, and all that sort of thing. And obviously we've had yeah. lots, of, lots of players on going back to the 70s and from the 80s and the 90s and, and so on. Um Talk to us about the exhibition because you were involved in the creation of that. So for any Reading fans who don't know, who might not be aware, tell us what it is, um, you know, how it came about, where it is and, and how long it's open for and all that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Well, the exhibition, we called it Collected 150 Years of Reading FC. Um, and I work as one of the curators at Reading Museum. 
So I got the opportunity to develop uh, the project. Uh, I think the first meeting was actually back in November 2019. Um, so um, working very closely with Roger Tipford at the Supporters Trust at Reading, uh, David Downs and all the guys at the um, the Reading Football Club Society of Historians and Collectors. Uh, and we work together to create an exhibition that marks the 150th anniversary of, of this tremendous unfolding drama that is Reading Football Club's history. Um, and, and, you know, working with the Society of Collectors and Historians who have been absolutely wonderful and really tremendously generous with sharing their collections that they've lovingly collected and gathered over the years through processes of research and, you know, really, you know, spending their money and, you know, really keeping their eye out um, for material that relates to the story of the club that they love really with a, a tremendous passion. Um, and the results of combining all of these individual collectors together produce this idea art. Uh, is collected isn't it that's the, that's the show so what you have is a is a combination of over 600 um photographs that uh, belong to the um to the collectors which we reviewed uh myself roger and um valdemar janushek who um also helped us with the um with the curation of the show in terms of the imagery that we've got on display he's a lifelong reading football club and happens to be the sunday times art critic so has a has a good eye for a picture so i thought we'd try and recruit him and he was very happy to he's a really lovely guy and helped with the uh, selection of the pictures um and so working through that process with roger uh who developed the narrative text for the story uh we we've worked with the collectors to pinpoint material from their collection that illustrates the narrative contained in the exhibition. So we're open every day apart from Sunday and Monday, uh, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And uh, we've designed the exhibition to, um, to run through until the opening weekend of the, uh, the next football season. So I think uh, I think that's around the sort of early part of August, finishing on the 13th of August. That's the last date that we'll be open on. Um, yeah, and we manage. I mean, we're up against it. A lot, a lot of really hard work. Roger did a tremendous job in terms of developing the text and opened a lot of doors for us as well in terms of getting to the right people. Um, and um, yeah, it will be... Yeah, we managed to hold our nerve and open the exhibition on February the 18th, which was the exact anniversary of Reading's very first competitive match against Reading School. So despite all of the trials and tribulations of the um, the COVID pandemic that, you know, really sort of limited and put pressure on the project, um, we were able to hit that deadline and open with uh, with a private view event um, for the sponsors and some of the key individuals involved in it all. So um, I, I really would encourage fans of the football club to come along because it is the story of the club that we love so much. And it is a once in a lifetime exhibition bringing together these really unique collections. And, and just for people who don't know, where where exactly is it? Yeah, we're at Reading Museum in the town centre. So we're just behind the Monks Retreat opposite, um, where is it, the uh, that Irish 
pub on the corner. See, I don't even know the name of the Irish pub of, across the road from us now. You see, that's how, you know, how much those crazy days of parties are behind me now. Yeah. O'Neill's. <laughs> O'Neill's, that's it. Yeah. That's it. So around there in the town hall. Yeah, I remember yeah. O'Neill's. Um, yeah, we're, we're in the John Medeski Gallery. And can people just turn up and is it is it free? Is it a cost? It is. That's one of the things of the benefit. One of the things you pay your council tax for here in Reading is that the museum is free um, to to enter, and uh, the exhibition itself um, is free. We do ask for donations, and people have been very, very generous. A lot of people have come and seen the exhibition, so we do ask for a five pound donation, but that is optional. Yeah. It, it is yeah. a free. It is a free local authority public museum. So. Yeah. Um, as well as the exhibition, there's all sorts of really interesting collections to see whilst you're there. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll continue to see the numbers, um, you know, be, be good. And um, the more people come to see it, the better, really, because it's uh, can't see an exhibition of a similar depth and quality in relation to Reading Football Club coming up again. Yeah. And, and, and Johnny, I'll, um, Johnny's on the call. He's been to the exhibition, I think. Um, uh, and I'll let you let you jump in in a sec, Johnny. Uh, but I, I do have one question, a curiosity, really. Is, is it an exhibition whereby people have donated, um, you, you know, the obviously photos, but memorabilia as well, there's shirts and all sorts of things there. Um, I, I'm guessing that everyone gets all of that back when the exhibition's finished today or how does it work yeah i mean that's the idea i mean that's where i came in more more or less really is that working as a curator i'm able to sort of uh do the documentation manage the collections it's it's a tricky project because there's a lot of artifacts but through a process of uh documentation i've been able to at the moment once we're in the gallery i was able to then mix the collections up and then there's a process of um of returns that we have to go through um when we get to august um i think you know actually sort of mixing the collections together and seeing how there's little um chimes and synergies and little motifs that run through everybody's collections i mean the truth is i could have made i could have made another exhibition about from the material that these guys have, uh, have as i say really lovingly collected um so it's just, you know, really amazing. I was looking at some of the stuff and I'm going, how has that survived? You know, it's just amazing what they've been able to gather up. And Johnny, I think you have been, haven't you? I haven't. I was hoping to go on Saturday, but I just didn't have an opportunity. But I know lots of people that have, Brendan, and said how amazing it is. And I'm, I know I'm on the, the Supporters Trust board with Roger. And I know, sorry for the background noise, my little one's not sleeping well. Um, but I know how much effort and how difficult it was over COVID times to try and get everything pinned down, wasn't it? To, you had so many setbacks. It was, but, but the proof is in the pudding. Is that what they say? Like, you know, it's unbelievable what you've done. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, there's a real determination because everybody involved in that project from, you know, Helen, who was at Cream Design, all of the uh, the supporters that have contributed uh, material, Roger himself developing the text and, Everybody had a sense of responsibility, myself, you know, knowing what it means to me, knowing what, what it means to everybody involved in the club. There was a sense of responsibility. So I reckon we had a bit of a, a sort of team spirit, a determination about ourselves that just said that February 18th, 
we want to open that display on time and uh, by hook or by crook, you know, we managed to do it. I mean, I'm still dipping in, adding a little bit of refinement to it and adding some more material, a few more labels and interpretation to to, to perk it up as we go along. But um, on the whole, I think it was, um, we, we wanted to produce a, uh, a top-class exhibition for a top-class football team. You have, definitely. And what, what, yeah, is well, there, what, and what some of the, I guess, you know, for the younger people that support our club, what are some of the things that they may not be aware of that they went there and had a look and went, wow, what's, what's some of those? I mean, what I say is, like, when I'm reminiscing there about my own early memories of Reading Football Club, I think wherever, whenever you go and see a football club for the first time, that's the moment that you fall in love, you know, and you just think, ah, oh, and all the players that are on the pitch at that time are heroic to you. So every era, whatever age group you're in, those are the signs that I think stick in your memory. So we've got older people that will sort of remember your Morris Evans when he was playing, your Ron Blackmans and, you know, some tremendous players in the 50s and 60s that are in the sort of um, living memory. But going right back to the 1870s, the earliest and probably the most important artefact in the whole collection is a um, is a minute book that came to us um, from 1879. So that's just four or five seasons after the club first um, formed itself on Christmas Day, 1871. Uh, and that's just packed full of really you know, amazingly interesting detail. Uh, and they think it may have been the first... A set of notes of the proceedings of the club because it was so informal to start off with that they didn't really necessarily feel the need to formalise with a set of minutes. But you've got um, you know some tremendous detail in there, and uh, I mean, to, for me, some of the earlier stuff actually brings those players to life. Really, you know, you can look in the look in their faces, and they're so full of like you know, enthusiasm and, and youth. And you could almost put them in, a, in the first team today, the way they're sort of... And there's some great international players in the, in the 1920s. So those sort of early um, sort of artefacts and pieces of ephemera, um, for me, are, are worth studying them themselves, you know? I mean, there's... Um, one of the really interesting things from a social history point of view, and a lot of people have said that the exhibition works on a social history level, never mind if you're a fan of the football club, um, is the, there's, a, there's a set of Brigham um, cigarette cards which were produced in 1910, 1911 when Reading got promoted. Um, I think it was, uh, they won the third division south. So it's a tremendous thing for Reading. And uh, Brigham's decided that they would uh, produce these cigarette cards. It's the only cigarette cards of football club of, of a football club that Brigham, a local tobacconist, ever produced. And as a result of that, um, these are extremely rare and collectible amongst football club cigarette cards or cigarette cards in general. So they are um, a tremendous history. And a chap, a private collector, has collected the full set of 18 over the years, and we've got those on, on display. The other thing that really strikes me is that there's a sort of untold story of the women's game, because um, we were just chatting at one of the meetings that we arranged between the Society of Collectors, and we were talking about the need to reflect upon uh, the development of the women's game. 
and uh, the chap um, who, who has the broken cards, he goes, oh, well, do you want the postcard I've got of the 1921 team then? I said, uh, OK, then, yeah, let's put that one in. <laughs> you know, so we, we, we digitised that and blew it up large size and tremendous detail in the features and the faces of those young ladies in 1921. And, of course, that was just shortly before the FA imposed a ban on uh, women club, women teams playing on FA Football Association clubs grounds who effectively outlawed the women's game. It wasn't until 1971 that Stuart Mor- that the ban was lifted and Stuart Morgan, I think was a, I think he might have been a defender for Reading, but he was a, he was a top class um, first team player for Reading. He he then led the um the the first team there's a, a Reading ladies. So they've had a, a sort of history, a renewed history since about 1971, off and on. Uh, and they're riding high now, you know, doing tremendous stuff, getting crowds and building audiences and winning, uh, getting to the semi-final of the FA Cup. And um, it just makes you ponder about that 50-year, the, the impact that it had. I mean, if you ban tennis for 50 years amongst women, you know, women and men's tennis run in parallel. So I just thought that was quite a striking little bit of, social history that had just emerged from this small postcard oh do, do yeah. you want the 1921 women's i've got a postcard <laughs> brendan i want to, want to ask you about a, a a really key part of the exhibition is um there's a, a robin friday display it's got a shirt there and also you actually you and your brother union you, you feature in this exhibition because um there's a steve death testimonial program and you and union are on the cover picture aren't you i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you will hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together i didn't want to do another stomp you out speech it opened so, up so many more doors the show is called the, the deal. deal listen to the deal Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, you got your mute on, Brendan. Yes, sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, we used to be, um, we used to be regular, you know, when we were kids, there wasn't that much money about, but when we did go, um, we were we were very intently um, looking at, um, you know, the, the players out there on the pitch. And you can see that in the photograph. Yunan's wandering off. He's got a Muppet T-shirt on and he's wandering off to get try and get a sausage roll or something. But I'm there really looking at um, Steve Death and following the ball. Um, Robin Friday was just um, before my time. He played in the sort of, uh, I think his final season before he was let go was 75. But um, yeah, some amazing materials come through uh, to reflect on Robin Friday. And of all of the players that have emerged from Reading uh, Reading Football Club, his legendary status, I suppose, um, means that he's got a special feature on it of his own. Uh, And that was possible due to, again, the generosity of private collectors when a a shirt that Robin um, adopted as a training shirt, he wore it as an number 11 shirt, he only wore 11 um, three times but then he adopted apparently he sort of half inched it and used it for the following season's um, training and then um, I think it was um, Carnaby who then gave it to um, 
one of the ladies at the club that was a fan of Reading Football Club and it stayed in the family. So it's got a really good um, story behind it. One of the really interesting artefacts that exists within that display is one a signed programme of uh, when he played against Tranmere Rovers and scored this breathtaking goal. Uh, and then the um, transfer listing. I mean, why, how does that still exist? You know, but there it is, the Reading Football Club transfer listing, Robin Friday's on the market, uh, offers in and around 30,000. And to the great sadness of the of the fans, he, w- he was let go. But, you know, behind the scenes, there was all sorts of problems going on, which obviously emerges in, in Stuart's book. And before that, the book that um, Paolo, Paolo Hewitt and Grigsy wrote. But, you know, I mean, that, that programme from Tranmere, the, the guy that owns it says that he got it when Robin was on his way over from the Spread Eagle. So he might have had a pint before he went on the pitch which might have loosened him up and sort of promoted his creativity because, he, of course, he took the ball on his chest and one foul just inside his own half. This is the story. One foul move, hit it with his right, top left, right in the back of net like a rocket, and everybody's spellbound by it, including Clive Thomas, who was a world... Um, he's a World Cup referee, you know. it's regularly um, refereeing top flights and... Uh, the story goes that when they're on the, on the way home, you say, oh, I've never seen a goal like that. I've been all over the place. I've never seen a, go- a goal like that. And Robin said, well, you should come down more often. I do that most weekends, you know. So, um, But for me, it's an interesting question because it's a question about whether or not Robin Friday was a world-class player because it was witnessed by somebody who had seen the greats, do you know what I mean? And whether Robin actually had that level of innovation and inventiveness uh, and just flair and ability that meant that, yeah, it wasn't just that he didn't play at a level that he might have done in the English league if he'd have been able to sort of, you know, look after himself a little bit better, whether or not actually there, that, 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 that the Reading fans were looking at a world-class player. Certainly there's a lot of evidence around that he, he had that, that, that flair, put him in the same sort of bracket as some of the greats of the game, but yeah. it was unfulfilled, enigmatic, but I think the books and all the rest of it um, mean that he's the player of the millennium for Reading Football Club and um, Arabella, um, Robin's daughter, was kind enough to lend to lend the trophy that the family were given in recognition of how uh, much the, the, the fans still hold him in such great esteem. But and it is because of the football as well as his crazy days. He wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been remembered if he wasn't just a, a fantastic football player. Yeah, and Johnny, uh, do you want to come back in? Jeez, where do you start, isn't it? It's unbelievable. It's like it's a whole history of Reading Football Club in 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> well, what was it, what was the biggest challenge? As in, you know, I guess from a, a memorabilia point of view, is there something you were trying to get, couldn't get, wanted to get? Is there is it hard going like you no know, to oh. Oh, Brendan, you're on mute again. Press the wrong button. Yeah, it just sort of um, keep, keeps flicking in and off. But um, I must get, I must ask the council to invest in a better laptop. <laughs> no, but um, it was, um, you know, on the whole, we, the, the, the exhibition contains everything that we could have um, possibly have wished for. Um, and, and that is it, you know, so... There, there were there were pressures, um, but you know there, 
they're behind us now. Um, we can just go and enjoy what what came together really at the end of the day. You know, um, you know, it's just sort of um, yeah. There's nothing really. I mean, there was there was a few bits of sort of nervousness about whether or not we'd be able to tell the complete story with the artifacts and you know the structure of the exhibition is around a particular narrative so what happened in the sort of post-war era uh sort of 50s 60s and 70s is that Reading went into what you'd say is a is a a little bit of a comfort zone okay Mm -hmm. and if I went to see Reading Football Club for the first time in the 1950s, I would love the 50s and 60s. That would have been my era. I'd have remembered all of those players and all the rest of it. But there wasn't a tremendous go- thing going on. So the story has a, a theme where we look at um, local beginnings. Then we look at the era that covers the, uh, the national fame that emerged in the 1920s. And then the whole of the Biscuit Men era from 1930 through to Robin Friday's day when the Biscuit Factory closed in 1976. That is... Did he? Yeah. Yeah, well, he he would have known... Yeah, I mean, he would have known, you know, the the, the football club was named after the Biscuit Factory. Because it's... You know, and... I mean, one one of the key items in in that section is a full-size replica of Huntley and Palmer biscuit tin so you see a lot of the miniatures around but the full-size replica is one of the rarest tins of all Huntley and Palmer tins if not the rarest and it just tells the story of Reading when they reached the semi-final of the FA Cup in 1927 but that era after the second world war um, there was a kind of I suppose comfort zone that meant that um, there's more of an emphasis on the sort of cultural growth of the football in after 77, 78, where they got the first promotion in decades um, and Reading, began, Reading fans began to believe. Um, and then, of course, the Simard Cup, we've lifted a trophy at Wembley. Mm-hmm. Well, this could happen, you know, and I think that that alerted a few people, including I think that was before Maxwell. No, Maxwell was before that. But Maxwell kind of saw what was on the cards and where the football was going, the sort of Americanisation of football. And Reading lifting that trophy at the Simard Cup, um, I think was a moment where the fans might have said, wow, we want a bit of that. And there's a bit of a demand um, growing and and the sleeping giant that has been asleep since the 1920s. Uh, begins to awaken. Yeah, and Brendan, you, you mentioned about the women's game and the development and the evolution of, of that and how Reading, you know, fitted into to that. And, and also, um, I know there's a, a, a bit of a story about the emergence of black players in the game. So Andy Elaine, um, Jimmy Wallbanks, who um, went on to become Reading manager, didn't he? Yeah, well, it was Jimmy Wallbanks that saw... Andy Elaine's abilities. Yeah. But it was after it was after he'd been released by the manager that Jimmy Wallback stood in for as caretaker. So he'd released uh, Andy um, Elaine and um, then he gave he gave Andy his start um, and gave him his debut, took him back from non-league football and gave him his debut. He scored from the halfway line on his um, debut. 
Um, and uh, it's interesting because later on, um, I was just looking through a document that one of the collectors has produced. He's gone around all of the fans of Reading Football Club, managers, players, and he's asked for their all-time favourite eleven. It's a fantastic piece of research. And there's a lot of further research and possibilities to be done around the story of Reading Football Club. But anyway, his work was looking at um, was looking at what people think is their best 11. So we've all got an idea of who we would have in our ideal 11. But over the period of time, he, he, he's interviewed Morris Evans. And, you know, I mean, but it's interesting because Charlie Hurley puts Elaine in his, at, at right back um, and he's picked him of all, all of the t- you know that that he played with Robin's up front but he's put Andy Elaine in his all-time 11 so um, you know there's tremendous parties amongst the Caribbean community in Reading when Andy um, got the nod and was uh, I think he, he made he made a good 40 or 50 appearances um, um, but it was at a time where um, the life of a professional football black footballer I mean, the Caribbean, when the Windrush was 1948, it wasn't until 1974-75 that the the first of those sports-loving young people from the Caribbean started to get get a shout and get a chance. And I don't know what it was like for him, but um, I remember speaking to Nevada Phillips, who was an apprenticeship, who was on an apprenticeship scheme at the time. He was saying, yeah. I can't do a, I can't do a Barbados accent, but he was saying to me that he was stood in front of um, Charlie Hurley, right in front of him, and Charlie was telling him something, and he, he literally couldn't see past him because he was just such a big bloke, Charlie Hurley. His sho- shoulders were just like massive, you know. Um, that was a little bit later on, um, but um, yeah, Nevada didn't didn't get into to the first team, um, mm. but you know, ever since then. Um, you know, you, you'll see, I mean, I think a player, now we've got Paul Ince as the manager of Reading Football Club. Um, and like, you know, I was thinking that of all the managers of Reading Football Club, you've got Ted Drake, he played for Arsenal and he went on to manage Chelsea. Uh, he was an England international. A couple, fantastic Man United player, but got uh, curtailed by injury. Yap Stan. Um, But of all the managers, I think in terms of pedigree and uh, a playing career, um, Paul Ince uh, is probably the most sort of um, had the most glittering career. And he's been exposed to managers like Alex Ferguson. He's played in Europe. Um, So, you know, the the crop of players that he's got now to turn to for inspiration and, and, and learning and attitude and so forth. I think it, you know, Paul Ince is 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 a, is a um, I'd say the probably the greatest footballer to become a manager for Reading. I don't know. I mean, that's an argument to be had about in terms of who's had the best playing career. But I, yeah, you'd be yeah. hard pushed to beat Paul Ince. And, and I think also, that, that's, really... I think that's a story of how yeah. over the decades since the seventies, black players have been able to emerge. And, yep. um, you know, um, not face as much. And it, but, you know, it still continues and, and it is an ongoing campaign. You can see that with taking the knee and so forth. Yeah, and I, I think it's really interesting because all the talk about Paul Ince had, has had nothing to do with the colour of his skin. It's about if he's any good as a manager. No one's mentioned, oh, Reading have got a black manager. 
And it's just kind of, I think that shows that there has been some progress because I only kind of thought about that when you were talking about him. So I, yeah. I think that does indicate that there's been some progress. But I've got um, I've got one more question to ask you, Brendan. And then, Johnny, if, you, uh, if you've got anything else to ask, then come in uh, again, of course. Um, but, Brendan, I just wanted to ask you, of course, uh, Sir John Madejski was part of this. But uh, as well as John, uh, Sir John Madejski, what other kind of more recent players uh, have been involved? So, you know, uh, have you had the likes, uh, I think, A.D. Williams, Graham Murty, people like that, have they got involved at all? I mean, through the, the good offices of um, the uh, uh, former Players Society and um, others that have helped us on the way, we did. I mean, so John's been really helpful and he, he's lent material from his own private collection, uh, told me some tremendous stories and he's had such a wonderful experience with Reading Football Club. He's much loved uh, chairman of the club. But yeah, I mean, it was through um, the former Players Society, Richard Wixon, uh, that we finally got hold of Graham Murty because we had in our possession uh, a, a Neil Webb cap, a Jimmy Quinn, and then A.D. Williams dropped into the museum and brought us in his Welsh cap. So he was he was lovely. And um, so it was just a case of getting Graham Murty and, um, you know, I, I got a phone call with Graham Murty and he goes, yeah, oh, I will send that down to you, you know. And uh, there it was, sort of couriered down. Uh, so we were able to, complete the uh the four home internationals you know so I, I sort of like sent him a message back captain fantastic you know so it's really lovely to have that um set of international caps to to and one of the other little dimensions that I think is interesting is that um some of the fans have followed um the players on their international tours as well so we've got material from Korea um Germany from the World Cup and the African Cup of Nations. So there's that international dimension um, to, you know, since in the glory years, in the modern era, since uh, Sir John uh, began to turn the tide and awaken that giant, um, you know, Reading Football Club has, um, you know, been been populated by international players that compete at, at the highest level. So we've been really treated in the in the most modern era because in the great sweep of Reading Football Club's history, this is the most consistent run of success ever. So when we finish just outside the relegation zone in the second tier, in the great sweep of history, that's success. But I think the club is hankering for and is hungry for more. The fans are, the club is, um, you know, so John hit upon a methodology to get there. Um, and um, you know, there's there's um, a time now to reflect on what happened last season, which was very disappointing. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody's pushing forward to try and, you know, recapture um, top flight football. Um, but, you know, the, the, the recent decades have really been because it's only in the 1920s that they had a couple of seasons in the second tier. Ever, ever since then, it's been fourth and third, fourth division, third division. Uh, but now they've got that consistent run a success in the championship there's a sort of desire now to um and I, I do think it was a real shame that they went down after they finished ninth in the premiership because that was very very unlucky and if they'd have just hung on they could have built a momentum in the premier league and then all of the kids wouldn't be looking at chelsea or liverpool or you know they'd be looking at reading football club being their their hollywood club their top top team and that sort of 
um, backing, you know, the, the real fans and the real supporters being right behind the club and big attendances. That's what that's what breeds the success as well. But it's, it's hard for a club like Reading because nowadays second tier football is a very expensive game. Yeah. Johnny, do you, do you want yeah. to uh, finish up with last couple of questions? Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, as a fan and it's a you know, big anniversary, what did you make of the whole Legends game and the experience? And the... Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I was tied up and busy on Saturday with um, football grassroots because I've got a little boy that plays um, football. Um, so I just was occupied with other bits and pieces. And um, I didn't go to the Legends game. I'd have liked to have done, but I, did, I wasn't there. But I think that... You know, for the fans, it was a real treat to see those heroes of of those two campaigns pitting their wits against each other. 13 goals um, went in that day. So I'm sure it would have been sort of thoroughly entertaining, you know. And um, but I think, you know, the the football club is about the future um, as much as it is about um, the past and the exhibition on the night of the opening, we were able to put in the match ball that was played at the 150th game, the Coventry game. And that was the moment that we said, right, the exhibition's finished. And Sir John put the ball in place as a finishing touch. And it felt like when we come to August, we'll have that 150-year period to look back on. But the focus for um, footballers is the next match and the next season. And I think there are wounds to be healed and sort of dusting down to do and I'm sure the fans would have loved that um, you know reminiscence of that that football match I really hope they'll enjoy a trip down memory lane and back into the pure history of Reading Football Club by coming to the exhibition it's about the identity of the football club this is the story of the football club that we all know and we all love and um, I think that um Every football fan, it's all about looking forward and hankering for um, more success, isn't it, really? And that is that that um, formula is a difficult one. But, you know, they're building a new team and, um, you know, I'm sure we'll be all cheering. I mean, I go to about three or four games a season. So what I, I always call myself a fan rather than a supporter. The supporters are the guys that are there week in, week out, paying their money you know, dedicating their time to being behind their club. But, you know, whenever I go uh, and Reading score a goal, it's like I'm at Elm Park again, you know. <laughs> you just go crazy. Doesn't... You can't do anything about it. You just go nuts. You go up, Reading has scored, you know, it's a lovely thing. It's a release. We just yeah. want more goals and one more than the opposition, isn't yeah. it? You know, <laughs> Johnny, have you got a last question? Yeah, I just I say, like, I guess about that, you know, it's kind of like uh, what's going to our next 150 years, we won't be here. But uh, what do you think, you know, what, where do you think we'll be next season as a, as a club? Yeah, I mean, first. I, all I can say is in the, in the pattern of the history and the, is that in that era that I was describing earlier, that sort of lull period in the post-war era, um, the fans weren't content with consistent third division football. They and, and the and the crowds dropped. They tried sky blue shirts. They tried all sorts of things to snazz it up a little bit. Um, but it was only winning on the pitch that um, began to sort of like bring the following again. So it's all about the end product. What happens 
yeah. um, on the pitch. And it could be that Reading is, you know, having had a period in the second tier, it needs to find the formula to make it consistently going up. Like your Norwiches are up and down and they're doing well with those parachute payments and all the rest of it. So they're knocking on the door to be a permanent fixture in the Premiership. Um, and Reading showed that you can finish ninth in the Premiership. Um, but, you know, whatever happened, they didn't make it um, to, you know, find that way of um, unlocking permanent premiership status. But the town can support it. It does. It, it, there's a demand for it uh, and it has a, a massive impact on, on the town, more so than anything else, really, that town can do. The premiership football, it's a it's a worldwide product. You know, it's, it's massive at the moment. But in 150 years, who knows what will happen? Because. You know, the boom, the boom of football that started at the end of the 90s, Gaza's tears and all the rest of it, yeah. that's only 20, 30 years. So there's a big financial, you know, heat on that at the moment. And uh, one thing's for sure, I can't imagine after 150 years that there won't be a football team representing Reading somewhere around. Do you see what I mean? Could we we, we were all watching down at Christchurch Meadows again as we did (laughs) during the 1880s? Just just wanted to to say, I think think you've done Reading slightly uh, a disservice there because I think it was eighth in the Premier. Yeah, all right. Okay. I I I was just just thinking they didn't... Yeah, it could be a quirk because I was just thinking they didn't quite get Europa and it might have been that that was another one of those incidences where they were just unlucky to miss out on something like they could have gone up automatically in uh, 2005 when they had to go to the playoffs and then they got knocked out by Bolton but you know they were second in the division and normally you now go yeah, straight up don't you? So is, that's might, it might have been one of those uh, and yeah. we, we've had I, I mean I myself and Johnny also we, we go back to the 80s as fans and there's been success in in every decade and we haven't had success in this decade so far, so hopefully that's to come. Um, so ju- just to uh, just to round up, so Reading Museum in the town centre, that's where this exhibition is until uh, the start of next season. Um, so feel free to go along. It, it's free. Your, your council tax covers it. So it is, it is free of charge. Um, and it's open from 10 until 4 except Sundays and Mondays. Did I get all that right, Brendan? That's it. And thanks ever so much for the opportunity and, um, you know, all the best to all your listeners out there. It's fantastic. Well, thanks ever so much for joining us, Brendan. Really enjoyed that. And say hello to Yunan. Yeah, Um, we'll do. For sure. And uh, Mm it'd be great to have you on and listen, not only about the exhibition, but about Reading's history. So we obviously had the, the anniversary game, the Legends game on Saturday. So we're getting all nostalgic and uh, talking about the history. So thanks ever so much for being a guest. Sports Social Podcast Network.